From 9 News in Denver, Colorado, this is Blame, an ongoing investigation into a mother's death, her husband's secrets, and the lax police work that put Blame squarely on the shoulders of their six-year-old son. Was the shooting of Jill Wells really an accident? Join 9 Wants to Know in our pursuit to discover, is someone else to blame? A gunshot echoes across a windswept prairie. A young mother dead. Knowing everything you know, we no proof of that we know right. now. An investigation over before it began. That child was innocent. I feel like I failed him too. Gut feelings. Oh man, if I just would have known this a long time there ago. There was a lot of red flags. And an unanswered question. The preponderance of evidence. Oh, I would have done something about this. This really points to a homicide. Was a six-year-old really to blame? been working for months now to uncover everything we can about the death of Jill Wells. To try and answer one basic question, was Jill's six-year-old son Tanner really to blame for the gunshot that ended her life on March 28, 2001? Along the way, we've talked to lots of people. Jill's friends, three of her sisters, people who knew her husband, Mike, EMTs and firefighters and victims' advocates, the sheriff who responded to the scene at that remote ranch, and the deputy who led the new investigation into the case years later. Coroners, prosecutors, detectives. And not a single one of them has said, yeah, I believe Tanner probably fired that shot. In fact, just the opposite. Instead, every one of them ultimately reached the same conclusion. That the life insurance, the marital problems, the drug use, the financial troubles can't be ignored and that the story that Tanner was responsible for Jill's death was too fishy to be believed. Some reached that conclusion quickly, others over time, but they all reached it. Tell me about finding out that Jill had died and sort of what went through your mind at that time, I guess. Well, she had left on spring break. I knew exactly where they were going. I knew they were going out to this ranch that Mike rented with some other guys. and. And Jill was from Missouri, Mike's from Missouri, I'm from Iowa. I shot guns, she shot guns. She was kind of little Annie Oakley. She was very competitive in sports and, and so she was a target shooter. And so I knew that that's what they were gonna be doing, taking the kids out there. And I said, well, what's this ranch house like? And she said, well, it's a place to actually stay. And so, um, so she left on spring break and then I got a call on a Wednesday, just before six o'clock from a gal in Woodland Park who'd been on the softball team with us who had heard about it and gave me a call. And so heard about it Wednesday after it happened. And, and then the next day, um, of course, the word was spreading like wildfire around the hospital. And, and so everybody wanted to represent, of course, us to the family, but it was just Mike and the two boys. And I had met Jill's family, several of them before, and so I knew they were all coming out from Missouri. And so I said, well, let's wait till the family gets here from out there. Kathy Parham's memories of Jill's death and her own grief remain vivid. You remember Kathy. She's the friend who walked with Jill on their lunch breaks at the Colorado Springs Hospital where they both worked. The friend who still keeps Jill's last pair of sneakers in her desk drawer. The friend who cares deeply for Tanner and for Jill's younger son, Jacob. 
The day after Jill's death, Kathy was shocked when another woman at the hospital suggested Mike might have been behind the shooting, and more shocked when others started suggesting the same thing. Two days after Jill's death, Kathy and one of Jill's colleagues went to Mike and Jill's home to offer condolences on behalf of everyone at the hospital to try to find some words of comfort for Mike and the two boys. But before they did, Kathy called ahead to let someone know they were coming and to let someone know she was hearing whispered suspicions that Jill's death might not have been the accident it was reported to be. I didn't want to believe Mike was capable of this. And, and I called Rod because he had given me his number as the contact at the hospital for Jill and I imagined it was Mike that had given him my number and so I was calling Rod to say, look, you need to know what's coming down here. People are talking, rumors are flying, and um, somebody from the hospital is going to come up, and I'm going to make sure it's me. And he said, I think Mike will let you in, but come around and go into the garage. We'll have the garage door open for you. Well, that's because... Channel 13 was out there with her. They were waiting to see people coming and going. It was a huge news story. So when Katie and I went into the house then, we were greeted by Jeannie, who was there. And then Rod was there. There was a few people kind of with Mike. And Mike looked hideous. And he grabbed me and held on to me. and started sobbing and of course I was crying and he didn't let go for a while and I had um, brought him a gift and Jakey and Tanner for, uh, for Tanner's birthday that was coming up and I said these are for later and 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 then he let go of me and I said are you eating are you no are you sleeping no I mean he looked terrible he looked like a new widower in hideous grief. So when Katie and I left, she said, yeah, I, I don't know that he is really grieving. So then she kind of quieted down with what she was thinking, but she wasn't the only one thinking that. And, and honestly, I'd talked with my husband because he's a gun aficionado being from the South too. And I said, how can a little boy, how can a little boy hold a big, I was asking the questions myself. None of it made sense to me. None of it made sense. So what did you think at the time? You said you wanted to believe that Mike wasn't capable of it. Well, he just, he looked like he hadn't slept and he looked like he hadn't eaten and he looked ashen and he had his cap over his face, he, he looked like someone who was grieving terribly. And, and I said, she loved you so much, Mike, and he said, I loved her so much. And that's what I wanted to believe, that's what Jill wanted to believe. And did you find uh, his demeanor, his appearance, all of that sort of reassuring from the sense that... Ab absolutely. Absolutely. And, 
and Mike didn't know Katie, but he did know her name because she was Jill's job share partner. But because they job shared, they worked opposite days, so they rarely saw each other. And so she really didn't have much to say. She was just a silent witness to this encounter. And, and I think it even, horrified is too strong a word, but it was very, very, very emotional. And to be watching that kind of made her step back a little bit, too. I mean, you, you just, you don't want <clears throat> to believe that what you're suspecting or uh, it's all just subjecture. You know, it, it's, you don't want to believe that. I tracked Katie down, but she had little recollection of what she thought at the time of Jill's death, and she couldn't really offer much insight into that visit to the home. I also tracked down Mike's friend Rod. He had no interest in talking to me, saying he thought no good could come from it. And Jeannie, Jill's good friend who married Mike three years later, has also declined to talk to me. Plenty of other people have spoken up, however. Remember Jill's good friend, Terry Willoughby, the one who lives in Africa now? Her grief, she told me, was immense, and her suspicions were immediate. And while Kathy Parham had her own questions, Mike's appearance helped her dismiss them, initially at least. So, 15 years have gone by. What do you think now? I think just the opposite of what I thought then. And it, and it just... It just came to me over the years, and I went to Mike and Jeannie's wedding, and, and I went to Mike's funeral, and, and I followed Tanner and Jakey through Jill's folks, and they would always give me updates. And, and, and from the beginning, Tanner had always said, I didn't kill my mommy people at Woodland that knew Jill and people in her church, they were all meeting with the elementary school uh, teachers of, you know, what's the appropriate things for children to say to Tanner. And so they were getting everybody on board, all the children. And, and Tanner really never seemed to have an issue like you would think. And so I, I don't know if he was protected from all of the news reports and just never ever heard what was out there. Um, but he had said, I don't remember if it was to a Sunday school teacher or his grade school teacher, someone I remember very specifically, he said, I didn't kill my mommy. So, and then, you know, with Mike's drug use and everything, I thought, now what makes a father who has two little boys raising them, what makes a father then get on drugs and increasingly harsher drugs? And, you know, maybe I've seen too many movies, watched too many Datelines, but I thought, he must just be eaten up with guilt. And then it's like, no, you don't want to believe that. that it's just, again, conjecture on my part. I don't know. Three of Jill's sisters are equally suspicious, each coming to that point in different ways. 
Almost immediately, Joy Evenson didn't believe the story that Jill's death was a bizarre accident, a feeling that was underpinned by the numerous problems in the investigation, like the discrepancy between what Mike Wells said on the tape of his 911 call, that he'd rushed Tanner into the house after the shooting and called for help without checking on Jill, and what the two-page report of the incident says. On, on the paper, like, okay, on the phone call, he tells the lady, she asked him if she's breathing. He said, I don't know. I just grabbed my son and ran right. and ran in and called you. And on the paper, it said that he went to her. He, like, it was he like he pulled on her and stuff. Yeah. first. Yep. And then he went in, you know. Um, so those two were conflicting. And yeah, those are, that's one of the things that um, is hard about this is there are so many problems with that original investigation, things that weren't done and things that were done. Yeah. You know, sloppily, like, that's a good example. That's a discrepancy that should have been cleared up with further questioning. Yeah. You know, as you look back at this now, 15 years later, what do you think happened? I think that he killed her. I, 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 99, 100% that he totally did it. And, he, you know, he, he obviously had it planned when I think about, you know, how he was being nice to her. He was going to some counseling, apparently. He, um, you know, and when I heard about the insurance, you know, that they took out on her and it was his idea, you know, um, I just, yeah. And I think that he's... He was always, you know, narcissistic and all about him. You know, that, that that was his character. And I think that afterwards, um, when I, you know, I didn't have the money to investigate. I, I didn't know how to investigate. Um, and, uh, you know, after not being able to sleep for, you know, nights on end for the next two, two and a half years, I finally just said, you know, um, all I can do is trust God to, you know, that his word says vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, and that, you know, he's going to take care of it. And then, you know, a few years later, I start hearing that Mike isn't really enjoying all the fruits of, you know, of what he profited off of her and that his life was going to hell in a handbucket because he was struggling with drugs. He lost his construction license. Um, he, even with all that money he got, he was starting, you know, he was getting in debt again. He and Jeannie were having all kinds of problems. And you know what? That's what happens. That's what happens. It's evil gain. It's a belief that Joy shared with her mother several years before she died in 2014 after a battle with cancer. Nobody talked to mom about, you know, what they think happened. You know, um, I talked to mom after Mike died. Mm -hmm. And that's the only time that I really, you know, really told her that I really thought that Mike killed Jill. And she 
she, you know, acquiesced, but yeah, she, you know, and then my mom, bless her heart, they just started crying and said, I, you know, I hope that he doesn't go to hell. (laughs) Because that's the kind of heart that my mom had for people. She started crying and said, I hope that he doesn't go to hell. You know, that he's, she hopes that he's repented of it, you know, if he did. But she was not surprised. She just never, you know, would let herself even think about it, really. Yeah. And, I, and I've thought this several times throughout the years, you know, it's not, I, I know that we're all trying to, you know, be careful and walk on eggshells around Tanner and Jacob, but, um, but I think they need to know. And, but not only that, it was my sister. Yeah. And I have felt, I have felt, and I told Julie this a long time ago, that if it was one of us, Jill would have been the first one. Like, since she would have been investigating, she would have made sure. She would have totally, you know, found out what, or got something going to find out what was going on. She wouldn't have let it rest. She probably was one of the only ones in the family that would have been the bold bold one, I think. Another of Jill's sisters, Julie Evenson, came to believe the way Joy did in the first couple years after the shooting. It was her visit to the Lincoln County Sheriff's Office in 2008 that sparked a new investigation. For her, all the evidence paints a picture, a picture in which her sister's death was no accident at the hands of a child. If you just put it all together, it makes a lot of sense. For Jill's sister, Lynn Vallandingham, that process took longer. She and her husband became the guardians of Tanner and Jacob after Mike Wells died in 2008, and her primary concern was their well-being. That meant not talking in any great depth about Jill's death and about what may have happened. But earlier this year, we walked her through the initial investigation, the evidence turned up after the case was reopened, and other things we'd uncovered. And we played her snippets of interviews with investigators who think Jill's death could not have happened the way Mike Wells told authorities it did, a version of events accepted by the Lincoln County Sheriff, Undersheriff, and Coroner in 2001. What do you think now that you've looked at all of this, that you've watch that video and listen to that audio. I think what stands out is that so many other people have questions about it, just like we've always had questions about it, but then how urgent it is to to see if we can help Tanner out. And, um, you know, that that's probably the number one thing. But. I guess the insurance is what threw, you know, what was really surprising to me the day after. And um, when he inquired about filing for the claim. Um, and just the lack of the, the report um, from the coroner and no autopsy. I mean, just everything. I guess everything. Yeah. I mean, when you piece it, I mean, you put it all together, you know, from all these little pieces, you know, within it paints a different story. That's what I think. Is there any particular emotion, whether it's sadness or anger or frustration or maybe all of those and some more? I I guess all of them and then that we probably should have done something. We should have had more questions. We should have um, inquired more. We should have had somebody do an investigation. Although Julie did, you know, 
you know, have the body exhumed. So that was a step in the right direction. But, I, you know, I think it gets just, we should have been more proactive on different things. And it's not that we didn't love Jill or her, her boys, but it's just, um, you know, you, you just think, you think that the, the system is going to be fair and just, and you think there's, you know, honest people out there that are going to, you know, take care of, you know, what they're supposed to be taking care of, and then when they don't, you don't question them, and that's, you know, we should have questioned more. And then there are various public officials. Remember those first responders, the EMTs and firefighters and victims advocates who had questions at the scene, who saw how Jill's hands were on the rifle at odds with the official report, who had questions then and even more questions now. They're joined by the sheriff's deputy who was the point person on the new investigation in 2008, Albert Leach. Did you have a, a gut feeling pretty quickly that this wasn't the accident that was reported? Um, after a few days, after kind of looking into it and really seeing. Was there one thing in particular that made you feel that way? Just a lack of things that didn't get done. Uh, myself and the current sheriff, we did make a list that day of things that we thought didn't get done or got done and things that should have been done. And there's quite a few things that we wrote down that should have been done that didn't get done. But I can't speak for the officers back in 2001. Clearly that's frustrating though. It's very frustrating. It's sort of like unringing a bell, right? If it wasn't done in 2001, it's... Well, seven years later, it's pretty hard to find what you need to find to solve something. Did you hope to meet with Tanner at some point and talk to him about what you learned? Myself and the sheriff and then the sheriff, um, has talked about wanting to go to Missouri and visit with the family, but without having the proper information and saying 100% without a doubt, you didn't do this, we didn't know if we should go do that or even try to talk to the family about doing that. You talked about the autopsy we've talked about. You talked about the autopsy we've talked about, the things that weren't done at the scene originally. We've talked about what was and what was not in the original case report. Did you feel like Tanner and and his mother really were sort of failed in the beginning by what was done and not done. The things that weren't done at the scene originally, we've talked about what was and what was not in the original case report. Did you feel like Tanner and, and his mother really were sort of failed in the beginning by what was done and not done? There again, I can't speak for the officers on scene that day. I wasn't there. I wasn't part of the office. Um, do I feel like they were let down? Absolutely. I felt like Tanner's been let down. And not just back then, but by us right now, because we can't give him the answers he really needs and deserves. Do you have hope that that still could come about in some way? Absolutely. You know, if there's anything I could do to help resolve that, I'm all about helping. Your feeling is that Mike Wells was responsible for this. That is correct. There's Dr. Mike Doberson, the longtime Arapahoe County coroner and forensic pathologist who performed the autopsy on Jill's body seven years after her death. You heard him say that if this were his case, 
knowing what the Lincoln County Sheriff and Undersheriff failed to do in 2001, knowing what investigators found in 2008, and knowing what we've found since then, he'd rule Jill's death a homicide. But he's not the only former coroner who thinks that. Dr. Earl Burns served two terms as coroner of Teller County. When Mike Wells died in 2008, it was his job to investigate. Though he's not a forensic pathologist, he made arrangements for an autopsy in the case. He took his time working for weeks and waiting for lab reports before declaring Mike's death a drug overdose. It was a sharp contrast to the Lincoln County coroner's investigation of Jill's death seven years earlier, a case closed within a day. But Byrne didn't stop with Mike's death. He joined a group of people looking into the shooting that took Jill's life. He was one of the first people I sought out when I first looked into this case, and he didn't hold back his opinion. First, a quick note. I dug this old audio out of my files, and it's kind of rough. I've talked to Dr. Burns a number of times, but this 2011 interview is important, and I think you need to hear it, echoes and all. The Lincoln County coroner was the one that um, got involved enough, I think, because that's where Jill died. Right, right. And, um, and she is the one that... Um, who requested the exhumation, the autopsy. And I had pressed her for uh, a coroner's... um, An inquest? Yeah, and uh, she never followed through on it. I thought she should have. Yeah, difficult with Mike being dead, right? Yeah, it wouldn't have amounted to much, but it it probably would have resulted in a verdict that uh, the boy wasn't the shooter. Okay, let me explain what a coroner's inquest is because they're rare. Think of it as sort of like a grand jury investigation. The coroner assembles a jury of citizens, presents evidence, and asks them to render a judgment. In this case, Dr. Byrne felt strongly that Jennifer Nestor, at the time the Lincoln County coroner, should have held an inquest a feeling he based on interviews he conducted and a careful examination of photos from the day Jill died. And, and you saw the, the photos? Uh-huh. Do you recall where the entrance wound was? Yeah, it was above the... Right yeah. above the Yeah. You know what that location is? Uh, what it's called medically, or...? No, I mean, where that location happens to be, or the significance of a shot in that location. Uh, well, most shots to the brain are pretty catastrophic, right? Yeah, but this was a twenty-two. This was what? It was a twenty-two caliber. Right. Right. So what, what are you trying to tell me? I'm lost a little bit. <laughs> that is exactly the spot where a SWAT team sniper would aim. Hmm. It produces an immediate kill. He was the first person to suggest that there was a problem with the pictures, that they showed Jill's hands in a position to be firing her own rifle right-handed, when in fact Mike told the authorities she was firing the left-handed. Is there anything else about this case that jumps out at you? As I say, I had had an opportunity to review the scene photos that were taken by the sheriff. One of the things that I noticed in the scene from the, the shooting, first I think the scene was staged. Mm-hmm. Jill's, Jill's body was in a prone position. She was holding a rifle. Mm-hmm. I think she shot. She either shot left-handed 
Right, yeah, that's what it says in the report, that her left index finger was on the trigger and that the stock was against her left cheek. But that's not what the picture shows. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I, I can't remember the exact details. The, uh, what I do remember from looking at the picture was that uh, the placement of the right and left hand was opposite what would be expected for whatever handed shooter Jill was. Do you have a theory on what went down that day? Yeah, I, uh, my, this is my opinion. Yeah. I think that um, Mike Wells shot Jill. Right. And then scooped up the boy and ran in the house and the boy was yeah, confused. Grabbed, grabbed the boy um, and took took him in the house, told him that his mother hit her head on a rock or something like that. Right. Looking at an email that I wrote to Jennifer Nestor on uh, December 18th, and I'll read it to you yeah. if you're interested. Sure. Jennifer, since the autopsy of Joe Wills, I've had a couple of thoughts that I pass on to you for consideration. Unfortunately, they are mostly hypothetical and circumstantial. If Tanner Wells was standing where the rifle on the ground is shown in the photos, attending to reloading and facing generally toward the targets that they were shooting at, and Mike was behind him by the rear of the pickup, uh, which Mike was, he said he was at, at a pickup truck about mm, 20 to 20 yards behind them, mm -hmm. um, doing something with some other weapon. Mike could easily have moved surreptitiously within a few feet of Tanner to his right and a bit to his rear out of the line of Tanner's vision and fired the fatal shot. The entry wound on Jill's head is just about one centimeter higher than the preferred site for a SWAT team sniper to take out a uh, armed bad guy holding a hostage at gunpoint. His general believes that a shot in this location destroyed the part of the brain causing immediate death without any reflux, reflex convulsive muscular activity that might result in a trigger squeeze and injury to the hostage. Coincidence or premeditated shot by Mike, Mike, who, because of his interest in guns and hunting, might well have knowledge of, of this type of shot, might well not want Tanner to see any very mortality movement of his mother. The odds for a coincidence are overwhelmingly against this. Tanner's memory of events is of hearing a shot and something whizzing past his right ear, and his father coming up behind him, picking him up from behind and taking him into the house. If this truly was an accident, wouldn't the most natural thing for Mike to do would be to go directly to Jill's aid? If he didn't go directly to Jill, it is reasonable to know that he already knew that she was dead. Jill is said to have been a left-handed shooter, yet the photos show her left arm to be extended alongside the rifle and her right arm to be flexed with her hand near the right interior shoulder. This is discordant with the contemporary law enforcement investigation's report of removing her left finger from the trigger of her weapon. Standard procedure would dictate that photos be taken prior to touching or moving the body. The arm positions are not appropriate for a left-handed shooter. The reports that liver mortis and questionable rigor suggested that the body had been dead longer 
and the alleged timeline indicates. In addition uh, to number, uh, comment number four, uh, <coughs> this would indicate that the scene was staged. Also, why was Hill using a weapon with a telescopic sight for targets that appeared in the photo to be only about 50 feet away? So many questions, and now these new ones. What does Tanner remember? What does he think of all this? And what can be done about it now? Next time on Blame. Am I on? There's one person at the center of all of this. We have a debrief. We haven't texted. What happened? We've been desperate to hear from. Did you not read it? No. Did you never do email? That little boy, Tanner Wells. Oh, God. Is this from him? Does he think he's really to blame? Blame is a production of KUSA-TV, Nine News, and Tegna Media. Nicole Vapp is executive producer. Anna Houston is the producer and editor, and I'm investigative reporter Kevin Vaughn. Find photographs, police reports, maps, and other evidence on 9news.com slash blame.